0: If you've done a competition prep or you're thinking about doing one this episode is for you not only is the dieting phase just to get to stage a challenge in and of itself but I would argue that after competition that's even harder sometimes so we're talking about the reverse diet after a contest prep how to maintain slow and steady weight gain what's normal, what's not, and we also dive into my blood work recently and why I decided to step out of contest prep. We're using Cliff Wilson for this one. You guys know him as my coach, and also he is an amazing coach with multiple world champions and dozens and dozens of pro cards under his belt. So if you've thought about competing or you've struggled with that post-dieting mentality, this one's for you. Hey y'all, I'm Taylor DeHaze. I'm obsessed with all things fitness and business. I left my career as a TV reporter after 10 years to start my own fitness coaching company. I was so tired of seeing people struggle with disordered eating and misguided weight loss information. Think of this as your one-stop shop for training, nutrition, and success while navigating through life. Grab a cup of coffee, get cozy, and get ready to learn and laugh. Again, welcome to the Taylor Living Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Let's dive in.
1: You know, I want to talk about the, what's called the recovery diet and how that's similar to a reverse diet, as many people might know, but talk to me about the difference in what a recovery diet is and why that's necessary post-competition.
2: Yeah, um, you know, a- after a show, I think a lot of people use a, different, a lot of different terminologies for it, um, like, like you said, reverse diet or even recovery diet. I think um, some of the guys at 3DMJ were the first ones to use the term recovery diet, but um, I-, I think what we're talking about here today is, is really just the post-show period where you add food back in with the purpose of gaining weight. Um, and getting your body back to a normal state after um, after a contest. And um, oftentimes I think that uh, a lot of times people are falling into two camps. One, they don't want to let go of their contest body, so they really try to hold on to it for as long as they can, uh, which is probably ill-informed. <laughs> and then the other one <laughs> is that people give no thought to what their post-show plan is, and they just binge. And so, um, you know, having a reverse diet or a recovery diet after a contest is really having a, some sort of plan to um, come out of contest conditioning in the safest and fastest and most effective manner possible.
1: When well, we've talked about, you know, too, just time to time, the people that, you know, it's one thing to have a post-show meal or even like a weekend, whatever, right? But the people that are planning like a vacation for a week after their show, it's like, guys, you are so susceptible to fat gain and you do not know how to intuitively eat when you are that restricted. So, yeah, I mean, I would argue that the diet after prep is sometimes even harder because the second you start eating more food, and I can say that right now. It's like I'm eating so much more than I was a week ago, but I'm already, like, so much hungrier, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And it's, uh, you you know, not to go too far down this rabbit hole, but I think one of the things that people don't realize is that uh, your motivations absolutely change after a show. Um, Some people are like, how can I follow this grueling diet before a contest? And not really have any problems with motivation or anything like that. But then after the show is over, they can, they'll have more food in their diet and they cannot stick to it to save their life. And one of the problems is that the, um, the reason for sticking to the diet has changed. Because before the show, the reason is the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, after That's- the show, that reason is now removed and the reasons aren't as strong. So so the value that you get out of sticking to the diet isn't as strong for a lot of people. So it it is very, very difficult. I usually tell people in a post-contest period, um, for the first six to eight weeks after a show, you are almost uh, best served by uh, viewing it as an extension of your contest prep. Literally, yeah. Yeah, eating largely the same foods that you were eating but more of them. Um, that's a great way, you know, you, you, we spend a lot of time over the course of a contest prep, putting all these, uh, all the structure in place and all these, um, you know, uh, all these restrictions and all these structures. And, you know, we do so incrementally over the course of a contest prep. We don't start day one just with the most restrictive diet. Um, no.
0: And
2: yeah. And so the same way, I don't think that you need to, or you should eliminate, all of this structure and all of these restrictions immediately, you need to roll them back and allow your, your mind to adjust to getting back to normal or else, or else um, you, you end up kind of like that kid that never went to a party at all in high school and then they go, and then they go to college. <laughs> well, they go to college, and all the restrictions are removed, and they have some major binge drinking problems.
1: <laughs> oh, God. You know, you'd be so proud of me. I, um, Of course, I've implemented my Splenda and my coffee, but I haven't had Crystal Light, not a single time, not once. Yeah.
2: Well, you were, you were, yeah, you were going pretty hard on that, it
1: sounded like. Hey, listen, I didn't, have, I didn't have a lot of outlets, okay? Um, but, you know, I definitely don't douse my food in, like, Walden Farms and all of that kind of crap. So, yeah, Crystal Light is my vice. I do not drink diet sodas or anything, but that is my vice. But I digress. Um, okay, so kind of getting back on track, and I want you to, like, I, like we talked about, kind of use me as an example. So we worked together through two prep cycles. They've both been longer preps, of course. That's just kind of, I think, what my body needs usually. Um, But I want to talk about, you know, kind of why I got my blood work done, why we decided to go that route, and then kind of like looking at it, why we are in this recovery diet. Because, you know, I was eating a little over a 1,000 calories a day towards the end, and like first week at a prep, I'm at like 1600 plus, like that's a pretty big increase. You know what I mean? so um, I don't know if you want to talk about kind of what you noticed in my blood work or reasons to get that, but I do kind of think it's important to to talk about that because when people are in that contest prep mode, um, you know, it's normal to feel off. Like, it is normal to be really hungry. It's normal to be very tired. I mean, walking up a flight of stairs towards the end of prep feels like you just climbed a mountain sometimes. Like, that, to me, is normal exhaustion. Your neat goes down. You're trying to, you know, conserve energy unintentionally. But I just started to feel a little off. And, you know, I wanted to get my blood work done, and you suggested it as well. And I was like, okay, I really need to if you're suggesting it too. Um, But if you want to talk about kind of what you noticed.
2: Yeah, yeah, you know, and and you're right. I think sometimes, I I think there's uh, always a wide range of what people expect are normal feelings during a contest prep. Um, Like you said, I I mean, even under the best circumstances, a contest prep is grueling. Um and, and I'm sure you get yes. this too, that feeling of when you're when you're in a contest prep and you're so tired, you know, you, you tend to get really dizzy when you um yep. when you stand when you stand up and everything like that. And so yep. like lower blood pressure as well. So And I um, even get yeah. like
1: this sounds weird, but like you've compared prep to being pregnant before, we've joked about that. Um yeah. but I I even get like some morning sickness after, like, my fasted cardio sessions, sometimes. And I'm not talking about walking in the treadmill, but me teaching my cycling classes. Like, I will get kind of, like, nauseous afterwards just because there's nothing in my system, really. It's blood 5 a.m. Yeah, like, I, so I totally get that.
2: Yeah, so, you know, the, a lot of these are actually normal circumstances, mm-hmm. um, at, at least for myself when I want to see people getting their blood work done is when they are very low-calorie, very high-cardio, and uh, the, the scale doesn't seem to be dropping the way that you would expect. Um, that, to me, that's one of the big markers. You know, it's like we can usually continue to push forward with everything as long as the scale is still moving down, you know. And I um, think
1: it's important to note, too, that we're not talking about week to week. Like one week is not a plateau. But for us, it had been like literally six or seven weeks and the scale had not dropped. And we had definitely made changes in those seven weeks.
2: Yeah, and so and so, you know, once you get down, once you get down and close to that, you know, close to that thousand calorie per day mark, along with, uh, you know, you're looking at maybe forty five minutes of cardio plus per day, and, and the scale's still not budging, then I think it's usually time to get blood work. Um, now, I think it's important to say to people what normal contest prep blood work looks like. Um, yeah, for you sure. Know, uh, uh, you know so at at the, at the beginning of contest prep, everything should be normal with someone 's blood work um and even in the middle, it should probably be largely normal. But when you are getting down to the final weeks of contest prep, normal things for con- normal things to see during a contest prep are um, lowered testosterone levels for both men and women um, Now this is going to be a lot worse for men than than it is for women because men uh men 's Muscle mass and even a lot of times our mental state is a lot more dependent on testosterone than it is for women. Um, But women will still have low testosterone as well. You're usually looking at like uh, lower thyroid functioning uh, being a factor, um, even like lower blood pressure and lower heart rate. Those are all very normal circumstances. Oh, and also higher cortisol levels. So those are um things that you would probably expect to see in the final weeks of a contest prep if you get your blood work done um and at least for you know our circumstance with you with yours um one of the issues is that we weren't quite to contest shape we were almost there um and we did see all of these things in your blood work but the problem is we were already seeing these things and the scale wasn't moving so we knew we were going to have to make a call of continuing forward and push out those final weeks and really raise cardio up. You know, it it also just depends on how much a person can tolerate. Um, and your blood work was indicating that you seem to be already at your body's limit. Um, right. And so I would yeah,
1: and,
2: yeah. So I think sometimes when you're making a decision. About like what to do next? Do I push? Because um, everybody's I think one thing that uh, um, people often forget when you're when you're in contest prep is, you know, I have some clients where I can give them an hour and a half of cardio per day, and they're like, I feel okay. <laughs> you know, so everybody's body has different recovery abilities and different tolerance levels for physical. Yeah, who are those people?
1: Skills.
2: And so. So, um, you know, I think it's, yeah, I know, right? It, it, it's so, um, it, and so I think that sometimes people view how much they can handle as purely a mental game, but it is also a physical game. So when you sometimes, you know, you have somebody that's on 45 minutes of cardio per day, um, it doesn't mean you can just tack on another 45 minutes and they'll be okay because someone else can handle it. You know, oftentimes I think it's smart to look at the blood work. And if all of these markers are already showing to be off, um and the person is reporting to you that they're you know they're they're feeling pretty beat then um if there's maybe a few weeks left then of course just grind it out but if there's like eight weeks left ten weeks left then you really need to make a decision on whether or not that finish line is looking you know doable for you physically
1: right and in our case We were like a few weeks out. However, kind of like we talked about with COVID and traveling to Texas, and it just you know we were talking about if I did qualify for a national show, would that show get canceled? You know, theoretically. And and we had been prepping since mid December at this point, and it just seemed like every show kept getting canceled, and it was
2: kept getting pushed back. Yeah,
1: push back. Yeah, yeah. And and so for me, it was like, all right. At, at what point is it worth it when I truly do not feel um like my body is really going to be as ready as possible
2: well and that's that's also a, an important factor to consider is that when we were when you were prepping uh the the delays clearly took their toll um because we were getting near show ready
1: yeah we were when
2: everything mm-hmm. shut down, and your body was responding very very well mm-hmm. we didn't get your blood we didn't get your blood work then, but I think it's safe to say that everything was probably still Yeah. We're still on point. But the delay of holding in a lean state, definitely your body didn't like that.
1: Um, He said, no, girl, girl. we we don't back (laughs) off. (laughs) So, um,
2: you know, and, 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 uh, you know, I will say that um, one thing that I've noticed with time is that the longer people compete, the more their body can tolerate that lean state. I do think there is some sort of fat loss memory that takes place um, where it's almost like the more times you get down to a lean state the less the body sort of perceives it as a threat. Um, you know, cause I, I have the only people that really um, were about to compete and then held on to it and then finished through very successfully, at least within my client client base were the ones that had about 50, 10 to 15 years of competing under their belt. Um, and it and say, me, yeah. yeah. And, and not training and not, not just training. I mean, like actual like 10 to 15 years of yep. I've been getting on stage 15, for 10 to 15 mm-hmm. years. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's, it's very, you know, it, and it just seemed like um, the, it seems like the ones that um, the, the ones that had less competitive experience, um, their bodies didn't, didn't care, didn't handle the situation as well. And this is a, quite a unique situation because this is the first year I've ever coached um, out of all my years where, um, choosing a show is kind of like a game of musical chairs, uh, no. <laughs> you know, you choose a show. And then when the music stops, you hope that show is still there.
1: <laughs> but actually I know, um, so, you know, talking about that though. So when you are depleted, um, like a normal prep depletion, right? Hormone levels are dropped, cortisol is high, things like that. Talk about that recovery diet and let's talk about, um, the weight gain that happens, the speed at which it happens, and generally speaking, like how quickly you like to increase calories versus a, you know, a where a reverse diet or a traditional kind of recovery diet might be, you know, increasing twenty or so calories a week, that's totally not our game plan.
2: Yeah. Um I, I think the the first thing is to say that um you know, you and I were you and I have talked about this before because I know you coach a lot of female competitors as well. Um uh the first thing is I think most female competitors need to accept that putting on weight in the stage is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a game of how long can I stick close to my stage weight. I'm sure you've seen it before where a lot of uh, – I'll see a lot of girls, it'll be like 10 weeks post-show and I'm only up two pounds. And I'm like, that's not I know a good how. thing. how. <laughs> yeah, like
1: what? Yeah, what are you eating? Probably nothing. I know, yeah, definitely not a good thing.
2: So for how fast I want to see someone gain – It really depends on how beat up I think their body and mind are. Um, So, uh, you know, sometimes I will have competitors that uh, they've gone through a prep and maybe it was an easy prep. And they're like, hey, I feel pretty good after a show. In which case, I would say I would add more moderate increases to begin um, their, you know, their reverse diet or their recovery diet. Um, However, uh, if somebody is like you know, like in our situation, their blood work is showing that there are a lot of markers that are off, um, thyroid hormones low, testosterone low, cortisol is high. Um, even sometimes you know when um, estrogen is off, uh, then it's like okay, uh, body composition at the start of a of the reverse diet has to take the back seat towards reaching normalcy. Does that make sense? So if somebody yes. if somebody, if somebody if somebody can finish a contest prep and they feel for all intents and purposes pretty good, their blood work is showing pretty good, um, and you know, maybe it's a little off but not too bad, then then in that case I'll say, Okay, um we're gonna focus on body composition, we're gonna add food back incrementally, maybe gain um uh a pound, you know, a, a pound a week for the first um, you know, six, seven, eight weeks or so and try to put this back on incrementally, while keeping one eye on body composition. But if somebody's body is really, really beat up, then I'm like, all right, we've got to get back to homeostasis here, um, uh, you know, get back to normalcy. So in which case, usually I'm like, we're going to put on a couple pounds almost immediately, um, you yep. know, three, four, five pounds almost immediately mm-hmm. just to start getting the body back to normal. Then you can slow that pace down from there.
1: Oh, my God, five pounds, that's so much weight, but, like, <laughs> I worked so hard to get all that weight off, you know? That's what you hear, I'm sure. So, you yeah. know, I mean, and well, I hate and I hate that for, for women, too. I was actually, this is kind of a tangent, but along the same lines, I received a coaching application this week that was from a girl who said, I really want to have the body of a bikini competitor, but I don't want to compete. And it just made me think, holy shit, there's so many girls like that. And, and, and I know we've talked about it, and people know it, right? We know that stage lean is not maintainable, yet these girls who preach that after their show are doing everything they can to maintain that body. And um, it's sad, you know what I mean? It's sad, but it really is not maintainable. If we've talked about it, that is the peak. That that Those are the times to remember, like, How did you actually feel that, like, last month? You know what I mean? How did you feel? How was your body performing? You probably were a hermit on your couch avoiding social settings for the last few weeks, you know, because it just gets to be pretty tough. But, yeah, no, the weight gain is so important. And I think people people think that once they start gaining weight, it's just going to keep – it's going to keep gaining, and and that's not the case. So I think people should know that, like, there is a threshold. Like, you and I are not just going to gain, like – you know pounds and pounds and pounds but um because i think that for the most part year round like i stay lean am i stage lean no but do i look like i train hard and have like cuts and stuff in my muscles yeah like that's my body because i've built muscle over time but you know am i gonna put on my sparkly bikini no no i'm not because it gets tight in the off season but you know what i mean
2: yeah I mean I think it's important to note like I, i'm going to say if there's one takeaway I can give in this entire uh, podcast right now to any competitor coming out of a show or plan in the future will come out of a show is that always remind yourself that your perception of yourself post show is not accurate at all um, yes. you you and and this is this goes for women and men, and I'll even just say for myself is uh, so in 2016, I did uh, a contest and I won. I won my pro card, and I remember um, about six weeks post show, I was seven pounds up, which um, I, I was really, really lean at the show. I had striated glutes, and seven pounds over show weight was. I, I was still in insanely shredded. Clean. Yeah. And I yeah, and I remember looking at myself in the bathroom, 7 pounds up and I thought to myself I'm like, man, I look like I look like garbage right now. I have and let the, myself I, yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, and then I I immediately, and I immediately corrected myself. I'm like, no, you're just crazy. Because um, you know, I'm coming from this other direction. It's um, the best way I always describe it is that um your body needs time to adjust. It's like uh, if you've ever been driving on the highway at uh, 80 miles an hour, and then you exit and you go down to a road that has you driving 40 miles an hour, um, 40 miles an hour feels so slow when yep. you have been going 80. Um, and so, you know, but but if you if you've been driving, you know, in a in a slower area going 30, and you you speed up to 40, then it feels like you're going pretty fast. So um oftentimes it just takes um, the realization that you have to know kind of where your your normal healthy functioning um, and also you know a, a weight that you're happy with weight range is and you need to get to that spot and then you need to hold it for a little bit until your brain adjusts to it
0: <laughs>
1: yeah so kind of talking about the weight gain and whatnot though I mean what is your what is your typical game plan? You know, whenever you start this recovery diet process with a competitor, once you get them a few pounds up, they start to feel good. What is kind of like your process for finding that new maintenance? Is there a certain um, – I know everybody is different, especially men versus women, but is there a spot that you'd like to get women like a certain amount of pounds above stage weight? Again, not talking about some of your genetic freak clients who are like shredded AF year-round, but <laughs> – like i am so envious of katie and if she ever listens to this i'm like you look so good at like she's like 165 or some bullshit and she's got like shoulder (laughs) striations i'm like how the hell do you have those um but you know is there like a spot that you like to keep people that is you know not too close to stage weight but a good spot
2: yeah and it's it's higher than most people think Uh, um you know most most I don't know about you let me ask you a question. what what's the what's the <laughs> weight over show weight that your clients usually tell you they want to hold?
1: Oh, it's always like oh if I could just stay within like ten pounds but like really <laughs> 10 sickly, pounds ten,
2: ten pounds is always <laughs> the mark the,
1: that's <laughs> the golden, but it's usually like for me, I feel like I really maintain around like twenty pounds above stage weight yeah
2: pretty well, um, like I, I would
1: say
2: I would say most women's uh, twenty five 20 uh to thirty we're gonna say twenty to thirty over stage weight depending on. Um, depending on where someone's at, because um, I, I, depending on your size, I think women can be a little bit more variable. Than I'll say twenty to thirty, because uh, some some girls that they have really, uh, if they're really short, um, you know, a girl that has a, a hundred, you know, one hundred and two pounds stage weight, she's probably going to be more in the, you know, maybe even fifteen to twenty if she's really really light. Um, right. But but I would say twenty to thirty is where most women fall, um, and A lot of, here's the thing is that um, a lot of girls confuse the psychological with the physiological. So they'll get to, um, let's say, 12 pounds over stage weight. And they'll say, I feel really good here. I feel, you know, I feel comfortable. And, you know, I've been duped before. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, I'm like, you know, as a coach, I'm like, oh, they feel good here. They feel good here. And then we try to hold. And then, and then. Uh, over the course of time, the coming, you know, the month, they can't stop cheating on their diet. Um, that, ti- well, yeah. They, they can't stop cheating on their diet. They're hungry all the time. They're tired all the time. And I'm like, I think you, like, you feel good here mentally, the way you look, but, right. you know, physically, you are doing horrible at this spot. Like, I think you need to start yeah. gaining again. And so, um, you know, I, I think that it's not, it's important not to conflate those two because, um, you know the way the way that you would like to look. I mean, I mean, I'll say this. You know, I, and and men have this too. With myself, I, I know that I really like the way that I look at maybe 182 pounds. Uh, I if I could hold 182, maybe to 185 pounds, I would be so so happy with the way that I look all the time. Uh, but I know that I I've tried. I cannot feel normal if I weigh less than about 190 to 192 pounds and i feel probably my best at 195 so you know i have to go up like another 10 12 pounds to to get that normalcy um so i think that um realization that you cannot you cannot hold uh, not many people can hold their ideal visual weight it's just not realistic
1: yeah. Oh, for sure. Because everyone's ideal visual weight is obviously lower than what's probably a healthy, sustainable weight for a long period of time. Um, yeah.
2: No. No. And and I I don't mean to like burst bubbles. Like I know that sounds harsh. You cannot hold your ideal visual visual right. weight. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. But I mean, it's kind of the same. It's it's kind of the same way. Like I mean, like you know, I, I mean, and I know that sounds like a lot of people don't like to hear that, but I mean, I actually had a great talk with um, Jeff Alberts one time uh-huh. from 3DMJ and. We were talking about how, um, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, I want to be CEO of a massive company, but I also want to have this perfectly balanced family life um, and, uh, have a lot, and have a lot of, you know, have a lot of friends. Um, <laughs> you know, usually everything is going to uh, have a give and a take. And so, like, I, I'll even say the people that maybe uh, I have worked with people that maybe do need to hold. I have worked with some, some women that do need to hold maybe 10 pounds to 12 pounds over show weight, um, because they make their entire living off of being like fitness models. Uh um, yeah. and in which case their job calls for it, uh, and they can do it, but they understand the sacrifices that come with that. Um, you know, the women that hold the 10 to 12 pounds, unless they're an absolute genetic freak, um, they accept the fact that hey, I'm probably going to be and tired most of the time. and be hungry most of the time. I'm probably going to have no libido. Um, you know, I, I'm going to not be able to enjoy many of the foods that I want. It's just kind of part of the job description. It's the same way that um, you know, uh, certain factory workers know that they might be uh, under some grueling conditions or under, you know, might be some exposed to some harmful chemicals. You know what I mean? It's like hazards of the job. So um, I would say, say if you really want to hold that weight, you need to be really accepting of everything that comes with it, and it's not
1: the healthiest. not the healthiest, and again, if your job does not depend on it, you're going to get, even a girl who doesn't struggle with binge eating is going to want to binge the first time something gets stressful. I mean, it gets exhausting having to say no to food all the time, and and again, like this is not, we're not talking about lifestyle dieting, we're talking about competition prep, and, and there's a lot of sacrifices that come with it. And that's just part of it, right? So, you know, if you're trying to maintain 10 pounds above stage weight, and you're still making all those sacrifices, it gets really exhausting, you know? Um, and I think that that's sometimes how food anxiety stems. Even a girl that's never had any kind of disordered eating patterns, I feel like prep at the very end of prep and and throughout it, that will trigger anything you you didn't even know you might have had. You know what I mean? All those underlying um, food phobias, food anxiety, whatever, because afterwards it's almost like some girls become scared to eat certain things, and and that's not what you want either. Um, So I think, you know, I'm sure you make your best judgment with what clients you are approving, if that's even the right word, of, like, coaching through those situations. And like you said, it's probably women that are job dependent on that
2: yeah yeah it, it, and you're right contest prep even if you don't have an eating disorder or a body image disorder uh contest prep is sort of like uh an eating disorder simulation. yeah <laughs> like, it really it, is it, it really is um it, it, even if you don't struggle with it it kind of like you have one for a short period of time and then it can go away um and you know and, and even the women that um, i've coached that are fitness models and do this for a living Um, usually after doing the fitness model thing for about, I'm going to say about three years and holding that weight, um, it almost inevitably comes to a point where a decision has to be made of, I need to take some time off of fitness modeling to recover and get myself right. Or usually they need to start some sort of hormone replacement therapy to allow their body to artificially be put into a normal state.
1: Yeah. Can you say that one more time for the people in the back? (laughs) (laughs) yeah.
2: Uh, and, you know, and here's another thing, un- inconvenient truth is, um, you know, a lot of times these girls see these girls on Instagram that seem to be lean all the time um, and just living this great life. Uh, either, either they are not being totally truthful about the struggles that come with staying so lean on Instagram or they're on hormone replacement therapy. Uh,
1: Literally. Or they're old pictures.
2: Yes, that too. So it's, you know, <laughs> it, it, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of, Inconvenient truths that come with staying so lean all the time, um, there are a few people that can do it, but when I say a few, I mean a very, very few
1: yeah, like like a single digit percentage, if that you know
2: oh mm-hmm. yeah yeah it, it's you know it, and and it, you know even it, and the reason that it is it's it 's not a bad thing if you have to have some more body fat, evolutionarily speaking, it made sense. our ancestors needed to have some body fat, the ones that didn 't have much body fat, the second a famine came around um, they probably died. <laughs> you know what I, mean? Like, I mean, if uh, we're
1: going to get really technical here, Cliff, yes, you're right. So if we, <laughs> yeah, tell tell one of your female clients that and see if she's like, Oh, I totally am cool with it now. <laughs> yeah, yes. but, I mean,
2: but no, but I, I think the thing is that a lot of, um, a lot of women tend to view it as something wrong with their body.
0: Like know, they'll say
2: I like, know. they'll say like, Oh, my stupid body. I wish I could have this. And it's like, um, you know, that's, uh, yeah, you I know, I I guess allow me just a real quick tangent on this is that um a lot of uh, a a lot of women, you know, they have this like, Oh my stupid body, why can't I just be leaner? And it's like, well, you know, it's just part of evolution, you know, it's not it does it doesn't mean anything was wrong. If anything, it means that um your your genetic line survived because of this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. And and uh so I think it's it's just important to know there's nothing wrong, it's just it is what it is.
1: that's a good point to bring up too, though, because also not to go on a tangent, but you know, I recorded a podcast not too long ago about Instagram comparisons. And I think that whenever we follow these women that are well known bodybuilders, um, you know, we see their bodies in the off season, but because Instagram is a highlight reel, and if you see them on their story, it's usually just like their face talking to you. You know, we think that they stay lean with a small waist all year round, and they're preaching flexible dieting, but we're like, wait, huh? How are you eating that and still looking amazing? And I, it's like, they're not posting their, you know, bedhead progress photos, right? Like, they're posting, like, flex photography, you know, you know what I'm saying? And so it's just, it's really nice to know that, uh, I tell my clients this too, like, you are not an anomaly, like, there's nothing wrong with you, it's just that, this is how it is. And and you're not looking at a highlight rule. Like this is the very, this is you every single day. This is like the real world. This is not photoshopped. This is not filtered, you know? Um, but yeah, I, I, agree with you on that. I think that women are so just terrified to accept that body fat is a little bit normal.
2: Yeah. You know, one thing that, you know, and I know one last thing here before we go back onto the reverse dieting practicalities, but, um, I, I, I've actually gotten into a habit for some of my female clients that really struggle with this um, comparison game. Um, I tell them to remove Instagram and Facebook from their phone, only check it with with a computer. Um, because I think that in general, uh, social media allows way too much comparison. Human beings are kind of hierarchical in nature. We can't help but compare ourselves to other people. Yeah. But But it used to be, um, you know, human beings would compare themselves to the people in their small communities. You know what I mean? Like in this, mm-hmm. uh, just the people you see on a daily basis, which is a much smaller number of people. And now here we are every day comparing ourselves to thousands and thousands of people.
1: Exactly. And our, our
2: brains don't tolerate that very well. So I think um, sometimes anything you can do to reduce the number of comparisons you're making in a day um, will be really good for mental health.
1: I agree. Um, so one thing I want to know about the recovery diet process and just in general for competitors, you know, how how long do you typically do a recovery diet? Like, when do you know that it's time to end and to, like, just hang out at maintenance? Um,
2: so I guess I would say that, um, first off, I, I think you need to look at not just necessarily a maintenance weight but a maintenance range. Um, because I, I really I like to build food up until we hit the top end of a weight of a predetermined weight range. Um, what I say with a weight range is that uh, set the range where at the bottom end you are uh, may, you are happy with the way you look and maybe even just a, a, a tad too lean. Um, and the top end of the weight range is that you are starting to become unhappy with the way you look and maybe maybe just a tad um, heavier than you should be um, and that should be your off season weight range to work within so uh, you know you if you have this where you're a tad too lean at the bottom end and it's happened you're maybe a tad too heavy, then most of the inside of that range is weight you are happy and comfortable with. Do you see what I mean there? Mm -hmm. Um, Yep. And so um, what I recommend is that um, you just build up. I would say try to get to the bottom end of that weight range rather quickly, maybe within the first um, eight to ten weeks. Um, And then once you get to the bottom end of that weight range, then go very, very slowly towards the top end. So um, let's just say we – I'm going to take a hypothetical here. We have a hypothetical um, female competitor – who um, she weighs uh, 130 pounds at the bottom end of her normal off-season weight range. And she weighs 140 pounds at the top end.
1: This sounds Um, like me. Keep going.
2: I I was just aiming for some rather moderate (laughs) there. So, you can say 130. So, um, I would try to get to that 130 rather quickly. Um, And then once you reach that 130, I think you need to assess how someone feels. If they don't feel normal yet, I think you need to keep going rather quickly. Um, But if they feel rather normal, then you can slow things down. And generally, I try to make the gaining process from 130 to 140 very, very slow. So slow that it's almost like maintaining. You know what I mean? Like 10 carbs here, 15 carbs there, very slow. Um, and the, the, the trip from 130 to 140, um, that could really take a half a year, three quarters of a year. Yeah. You know, like I said, very slowly. And Then when you hit 140, right when you're starting to feel, ah, I'm a little, I'm, I'm a tad heavier than I'd like, then, then you diet down to about 130, you know, pretty quickly, get down mm-hmm. to 130. And then you start the process all over again. Half a year, three quarters of a year to gain 10 yeah. pounds. And that's just how the off-season goes, repeat, repeat, you know, uh, repeat as necessary.
0: Yeah.
1: So, and I was going to say, you know, for somebody that does a a season, like a prep season, and let's say their season's anywhere from, I don't know, six months to even a year sometimes, maybe there's a little diet break in between. But, you know, especially with COVID, I'm sure you've got clients that have been prepping since November, if not earlier, um, that are probably still, you know, hanging on for national shows. How long do you recommend off-seasons to be because I think so many people, especially new competitors, get caught up in the thought that, like, oh, I'll just, you know, bulk in the winter and then cut and diet in the summer. And that's, like, a horrible mindset to get in.
2: Yeah. uh, So I think there's – it depends on the uh, division you are competing in and how often you can compete uh, so for my male and female bodybuilders, because uh bodybuilding category needs to get leaner. Um so I usually recommend two to three years between contest season. Um if we're talking figure, um I would say probably about two years, maybe two to two yeah. and a half years. Um bikini, I would say one and a half to two and a half yeah. years. Yes. Yeah. Um uh now, I will say bikini can sometimes do back-to-back years. Um, but one thing that is important to note, if you did everything right, your, fir- your first prep, um, you dieted correctly, you handled your cardio and your training and your peak week correctly, um, you need to realize in that second year, if you are not new to training, meaning under five years of training, if you've been training over five years, um, you need to realize you're probably not going to look much different. Um, if at all. So, you know, if you wanted to do back to back seasons, that's fine, but you need to know you're probably not going to look any different. Um, the second prep in the back to back year is probably going to be harder. Um, it's always harder to do back to back years with contest prep. The body does not tolerate that as well. Um, so, I would like to see most bikini competitors taking uh, about two years between show seasons.
1: That's crazy. As we're planning out, I'm just like thinking, I'm like, hmm, hmm, 2024, (laughs) it's time. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Well, you know, know, we've talked about this too, though. Like people do not understand that like there is no rush to the stage in bodybuilding. Like it will literally always be there. And the longer you take to repair your metabolism, to just really build muscle. I mean, that's the whole thing, right? It's bodybuilding. Like you were supposed to take more time in your off season than you are in your prep
2: yeah yeah I, I and and you're right because here's the thing is um now women are a little different than men. This is one where women definitely have the the edge up. men lose a lot of natural competitors men lose muscle during contest prep. women don't really lose much muscle um so the good news is women can usually get back right back to improving faster than men, whereas men need to regain what has been lost um but women build muscle slower than men. So usually you're going to need more time, you know, a significant amount of time to be able to improve and recover. And women's, women's fat loss hormone levels do not recover nearly as quickly as men. Um, So after a show, so after a show, women are usually getting back to growing a little faster than men uh, because men's testosterone stays lower for longer. Uh, But, If the turnaround time is too quick, women have a really, really difficult time losing body fat the second go around. Um, And it's the same reason why a lot of, uh, you know, even non-competitor women that are um, sort of yo-yo dieting all the time, it seems like it gets harder and harder to lose fat because they're just constantly putting their body through this fat loss process.
1: Right. And that's another thing to remember too is, you know, if you have a hard time dieting but you've spent, you know, the last few years, if not more, just perpetually dieting, it's not going to get easier when you diet. It's going to be harder. You're going to have to get more aggressive. And that's the whole point of the recovery diet, too, is, of course, you want to repair and literally recover, but you also want to try to make your dieting period a little bit easier.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, and and the more you do it, I mean, research clearly shows that yo-yo dieting does downregulate metabolic rate. Um, and once again, that's an evolutionary measure because anyone... You know, if if our ancestors were constantly going through periods of famine, uh, repeatedly, the ones that would survive were the ones whose bodies would adjust to these repeated famine bouts and start to hoard energy. Yep. Um, so, uh, oftentimes, you know, once again, it's just the, the closer together those repeated diet bouts are, um, you know, our body doesn't our body doesn't realize, hey, you know, oh. They're trying to do a bodybuilding show. Our bodies are like, Oh God, there's not enough food available. (laughs) Hold on to everything. So, um, uh, so I think it's important to just realize that, um, you need to get to a spot where you genuinely feel in a physiological sense, normal, and then, then start the diet. And then one other thing I'm going to say here, um, because this is a, a huge factor for female competitors. Um, Mental, uh, so mental, w- so now with the goal of getting back to normal, because the ultimate goal of a reverse diet or a recovery diet is to get back to normal. Um, and when I say normal, you also need to have a normal and consistent food intake. Um, so that is extremely important, not just getting back to your normal off season weight. Um, so, i i am probably taking this a tiny bit of a different direction here, but I think this is extremely important so um a lot of times I see um uh, people who they keep trying to um hold too lean of a body weight and they'll they'll have low calories for four days at a time maybe um and then they they binge for you know they overeat for maybe two days or one day but they gain weight from it. And then they're like, oh, no, I need to undo what I just did. And they go right back to the low calories, you know, three, four, five days, Mm -hmm, and then mm -hmm. overeat again, and the process keeps repeating. Um, Because you can't talk about returning to normalcy without also seeing, like, a return of natural uh, female hormone cycles. And uh, one thing that I have clearly seen over the years is that um, the women that are doing the – Undereating, overeating for a day, under eating for several days, overeating. You know, they try to undo what they did with the overeating. Right. Um, they mm-hmm. never regained their periods. Um and a, a perfect example is that one girl that I started working with, she did a show and I wasn't working with her at the time. Um she did a show and then the post show period, she gained fifty pounds, but her period never came back. Um That's because weird. she was she was doing exactly that. And I just said you need to, because this goes in line with consistent food intakes, um, the body won't feel comfortable. I mean, it, it's also like, the you know, the return of the period is once the body feels like it's at a comfortable spot to procreate. So, you know, evolutionarily speaking, our bodies aren't going to be comfortable procreating if we're having a, a famine every week. <laughs> so, um, so, um so uh, I was like, we just need to – so I started working with her. and I was like, we just need to get you a consistent food intake. And so what we did was um, we set the food higher. Now, she was still in this, like, overeating cycle. But the, once we set the food higher and she, she didn't feel as much need to overeat, she was overeating maybe once every two weeks then at this point. But she only put on, like, three more pounds over the course of the next month and a half. And then, what do you know, her period came back. And then yeah. we were able to diet off. Well, we let her stay there, actually, for quite some time just to, like, regain some normalcy. Once we were sure that her her cycle had become normalized, then we dieted it off 20 pounds to 30 pounds over stage weight, and her, her cycle maintained. And then she did a show with me again. So then she did her first show with me. We came into the off season, and we just had a consistently high food intake and her cycle where she had put on 50 pounds originally and didn't have her cycle return after nine months in the previous show. Then after this show, her cycle returned within, within two and a half months and at only 15 pounds of her show weight. So it's just the difference between consistently high food intakes versus this up and down yo-yo thing.
1: Totally. And I think, I think it's just so important again. And I know we've, we've touched on this in multiple ways already, but like, People just don't understand that, like, yeah, we're talking about weight gain, and that's, like, a hard subject for women in particular, but, like, people will sacrifice anything for a number on the damn scale, even if it means, like, losing your period, you know, low estrogen, low testosterone, low libido, all of that. People do not understand how hard diets can be on the body. And that is why contest prep, like, there is an end goal. The end goal is you get on stage, you kick ass, and then you you increase food immediately, right? Same thing if you're taking a client through a diet, whatever. Not to mention, like, a ton of lifestyle stuff. But if I'm taking anyone through, like, a lifestyle diet, some girl wants to lose, you know, X amount of weight, After we're so depleted, like, no, the goal is not to gain weight back, but the goal is to increase food immediately, and you're probably going to gain, you know, a few pounds, of course, as we return back to normal feed. But those few pounds, that's like your food freedom. That's the food flexibility. That is your spontaneous weekend trip away, right? All those things you can't do if you're on a contest prep, Um, not at least in the capacity you probably want to. So, you know, I think people are hearing you say these things, and probably in the back of their head, they're like yeah, but you said she had to gain 30 pounds to get her period, like, but 30 pounds, you know what I mean? And they're kind of ignoring the fact that, ah, I'd sacrifice my period if I didn't have to gain 30 pounds, which is bad, <laughs> but it's true. Like, that is what people are thinking.
2: Well, yeah, I, I think it's also important to remember that um, weight gain is temporary. You know, it's like, I, I think that sometimes people forget, like, your current state is only temporary until you act upon it. Um, and, and I actually just posted about this maybe a couple of weeks ago, but, um, actually when you're in this gaining period, I, I generally after pro show, I generally recommend you overshoot a little bit. Um, and then you can diet back down to like, uh, when I say diet back down, like three, four pounds, um, to where you would feel more comfortable holding because, um, you know, once again, it just allows your brain to adjust a little bit. And usually you're going to feel better about the way that you look if you have improved towards it. Um I think that's the difficult part about uh a post show period is that in our minds we are we are um, uh, we are um, not improving we're you know we're seeing the diminishing of our body um when that's not really true, we're just putting some body fat on. but I always say if we have one guy we have two guys that both have a million dollars in their bank account um the first guy he made some good investments and built his account up from one thousand dollars to a million. He's going to be very happy with that one million in his bank account. Um, but if the other guy had two million in his bank account and made bad investments and lost a million, and now he's sitting at a million, they're both in the same spot going forward. But the person that's going to feel a lot better about it is the one that improved towards that situation. Um, right. And so, so I think that you know sometimes it's okay to get a little bit heavier um, and then diet it off and realize you're probably going to feel much happier about the spot that you are at after you've it off just a few pounds because you're improving towards it.
1: So, you know, I I feel like we could talk forever about all of this, but, you know, (laughs) I want to end with, I guess, some tips from you on um, just mindset moving forward because I really do think that prep, especially if a competitor is listening that's, maybe, I mean, I can't imagine 2020 being my first prep. Oh my God. Like that would have been uh, (laughs) mind fuck, like literally. So, you know, I just, do you have any, any tips or any um, just mindset advice for clients that are going through that recovery period and more focused on just like, you know, yeah, there's not the dangling carrot at the end of the, you know, at some date, but there's other things to focus on besides a number on the. Scale. like I maybe you know some some positives about the weight gain that aren't um, physiological but just like living life more you know fully anything like that
2: yeah um man I, I feel like there's a million things I could say but I'll mm-hmm. try to narrow this down um I think one of the big problems with bodybuilders in general is everyone who is the type of person that's gonna want to step on stage we all tend to be uh high-minded individuals we We aim for things that are very lofty and we take pride in that. And that's not, that's not a bad thing, but, uh, sometimes these, these lofty goals, uh, can be a detriment because without going too much into it, goals can be a very effective thing for motivating people to do better, but they can also be a very detrimental thing if our goals don't really match up with reality. And so what I usually recommend to people is don't set these large goals. Set the smallest goals that you can. Um, Set the smallest goals that you possibly can. Achieve that small goal. Like, so, all right, I'm gonna set a small goal. I'm gonna put my head down and I'm gonna work towards that goal. I achieve that goal, then you need to pick your head up and look at what the next best goal to set is. Because sometimes we set these really lofty goals, and they're really vague, and they're not really specific. And sometimes the path to getting that lofty goal isn't very clear. But I think that if you set these small, attainable goals, they're very specific. You know how to get them done. It has you improving, because obviously any goal is usually going to have you improving. Set that goal, achieve it, pick your head up, and look at what the next best path is. Um, because, uh, all these lofty goals will, will lock you into a path that sometimes isn't even your best path. And one, one example that I always use is, um, the company Amazon. Um, I mean, some people may not know this. Amazon started as an online book retailer. Yep. Um, what if Amazon had said, we want to be the biggest online book retailer and that's their lofty goal. Um, what if they only took the opportunities that allowed them to be the best online book retailer, their company would have been tiny compared to what it is, but instead they kind of just set the larger purpose of, we want to be the best company we can be, but they didn't lock themselves into this rigid platform. And they, they've entered one market after another um, in an incremental based way. And before you know it, they're the largest company in the world right now, you know? So, um you know think of yourself like amazon you don't need to say i'm going to be the best this or that or whatever um say i'm going to be the best i can and then let that version of yourself kind of take shape as you set one smaller goal after another
1: and it's it's you know it's good to keep in mind that as soon as you step off stage um assuming that like your season has concluded that's the end of it for you at that point i don't think it's smart to immediately think like okay, when's my next show? I mean, it's one thing to have like an idea of a year that you might want to compete, right? But if if that is your only goal, um, and I think that goes, this could be another podcast too, but just like if you only identify as a competitor, I think that's when you need to take a step back and reflect and find like some other outlet or or something else, right? Because, you know, um, if you take away the stage, who are you? who are you without the stage? Who are you without? Oh, that's Taylor again. She's just eating out of Tupperware. You know what I mean? It becomes this identity that you are so proud of, even though it's like so tough and challenging, but like, that isn't all you are. And I think it's important for women to realize that too, because you said big lofty goals and not everybody has, aside from like muscle and what your body looks like, not everyone can go through a prep and succeed. You know, like not everybody can can cut out foods and stay on their diet and not waver a single time for X amount of months indefinitely, right? Like that's a that's a pretty amazing accomplishment in and of itself. And so I think that it becomes addicting because you're the friend that oh she competes like she's serious, right? So it's um, just important to remember that when the stage goes away and it is your off season, like. I don't even call off-season off-season sometimes. It's just like living life. You know what I mean? Like, it shouldn't just be on and off. You you should enjoy things about your life that you don't get to, like spending more time with your husband, wife, kids, whatever, going for ice cream on the weekends, um, taking those spontaneous trips, not to mention bodybuilding is, is super expensive. I mean, like, it's thousands of dollars sometimes for a show, especially if you've got a new suit and posing coaching, normal coaching, all of that. So, Um, that's something that I think women need to remember as well. Well,
2: man, you nailed it. Uh, Especially the part about like identity. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I guess, I guess like one last thing I'd like to add,
0: because
2: you hit hit on such a good point. Um, Bodybuilders have this, this tendency to take on, I'm a bodybuilder as their identity. Um, And I think people need to give a lot of thought to what makes up their identity. and, And it's, it's, not only is it a good thing, it's almost a must to have several components of your identity. Um, It's okay to have bodybuilder in there. Um, You know, it's okay, but there has to be, there has to be other things that constitute your identity. And I, I guess, you know, I can't speak for other people, so I'm just going to speak for myself. And you, um, as, as you know, I actually have been battling some health issues. So I haven't been able to train for about a year and a half now, which frankly, you know anyone who loves training it sucks not training <laughs> so yeah. um you know part of my identity is bodybuilder but now for a year and a half i've kind of have to deal with the fact that i don't have that as part of my identity anymore but the good news is i'm okay because i had other things in that in that you know identity sphere that i identify as um you know, I, I consider myself to also be a coach, and a you know, a, a, yeah, yeah and a good dad, and I try to be a good partner to my girlfriend, and you know, they're um in and good friends of the people I'm with, and um, you know, and and an author, you know, I write a lot, so it's like I have these other things, and it's like so if one of them drops off or or um becomes less of a focal point at a certain point. Um, that is okay because I have other pieces of me to lean on. And I think that's the problem that some of these people get into the off season. And when people aren't recognizing them as competitor, you know what I mean? Like they're not recognized for this only piece of their identity. then they don't know what they are or what they're doing.
1: Exactly. And that's, that's with anything, right? Like you and I are very big on, on mental health. I would think that we coach with a lot of that in mind as any coach should. Um, But, Yeah. I mean, just falling back on the line of, you know, we talked about the dieting mindset um, in a podcast and one thing that you said that really stuck with me that I've used over and over again was um, finding joy in your life. Right. And when you diet, food is a source of joy. So if you cut that source of joy, but you hate your job, you're not fulfilled in a relationship or in life in general, then where do you find the joy? Where is the outlet somewhere else? And that's the same thing with competing and finding your identity. Like if your only identity falls, you know, January through June when you're in prep and then you have no identity for the next two years and you feel unfulfilled, well, that's a problem.
0: Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. You know, yeah, you I, shouldn't I, I... have
1: to have a stage to, to keep you going and motivated and uh, comfortable in your body.
2: Yeah, I, I, absolutely, and it's um, you know, and I think if if you're the type of person that feels lost when they're not in prep, um, mm-hmm. the the answer isn't diving into another prep. <laughs> yeah, it's, no. It's it's examining why you feel lost.
1: Exactly. Hmm. Well, I love all these tangents we took, but I think <laughs> I it know. was a good one. I mean, I feel like we answered what a recovery diet was, but also um, a lot of mindset stuff in here. Um yeah, is there anything else you want to add before we really wrap it up?
2: Um, no, I think that I think that's it. I think we touched on a lot of good things, both physiological and psychological. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, I think this has been a weird year where people have had a hard time knowing when to stop or start. I think um, the last thing I'll just say is that always remember that every – contest prep every day sometimes can take on this magnitude you know people overeat or undereat or whatever it may be i think sometimes it's just remind yourself that in the grand scheme of things is very small and the important thing is how how you get back on track and don't let it snowball
0: Thanks so much for listening to the Tailored Living Podcast. If you're looking for any nutrition coaching, programming, or a combination, head over to tailoredtraining.com. You can always send me an email at trainwithtaylor at gmail.com. And of course, follow me on Instagram at tailorfit.